Thank you for listening to this audio recording from the pastoral team at Church of the Redeemer, an Anglican church in Greensboro, North Carolina. If you'd like to know more about Church of the Redeemer, its ministry, or its mission, then visit us online at RedeemerGSO.org. Good morning, and I hope that you are well and doing well this weekend. It's, it's just been fantastic to see the weather that we've been accustomed to here. Um, as you're joining us online, there was a good group of folks out here in the parking lot at 9 a.m. for a brisk but also beautiful morning. And we're very thankful that God has given us these beautiful days on Sunday for us to be able to do our parking lot service. Um, but as we're, as you, some of you have probably seen, we sent a survey out in the week. We will, on November 1st, begin having one service again at 10 a.m. with an indoor piece, an online piece, and then also uh, service in the greenhouse as it's just going to get a little bit cooler around here. So we're excited about that. And as we've been going through this book of Ephesians, we have been looking at the church and all of her beauty and glory and purposes and what God has done to empower and make the church a reality. He has transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. (coughs) And through the glorious work of his son, he's made us his people And so we're going to look today at this great prayer we heard read out of Ephesians in chapter 3, verses 14 through 21. So you're welcome to turn back in your Bibles to Ephesians 3. But before we dive into the passage, I want to just frame a few questions for us um, to start with. First, let me ask you this question. I need you to think about it for a moment. Who is praying for you? Who is praying for you? frequently and consistently for you? Who is it that you know today, sitting where you are, carves out time and space and energy in their life to pray for you? One of the most, uh, one of the very best things you can have in your life is an intercessor or a group of people who pray for you. This is the stance of a Christian. You think about it, we'll ask a doctor to help us when, when we're sick. We'll ask a tutor if we're struggling in organic chemistry or calculus or algebra, whatever it is. We'll pay people to help us with homework and schoolwork. If we want to improve our health, we'll pay a life coach. Um, most of us have the idea that if I need something, I, I go get someone to help me. But I find that very few people ask for prayer. And I wonder why that is, um, but I know why I don't ask for prayer either. So let me frame this question again. Who is praying for you? Who goes before God regularly on your behalf? The second question is this, who are you praying with? How often do you find yourself engaged in prayer with others? Maybe it's a small group, it's your house, it's your roommates. Um, I know some folks in Church of the Redeemer um, before COVID, which is the new phrase that we say for everything. It's the disclaimer. Before COVID in their workplace, they had a, a lunch prayer time, which was fantastic. But who are you praying with? Um, and this summer, Angela Kay and I tried very diligently to implement this in our family every night at 845. And we some nights miss, some nights we hit. 
um, we gather our kids and each other and we pray together, 8.45 p.m. And sometimes it's very rich and we just sense God's presence with us and blessing upon us. And sometimes it's perfunctory and we're all ready to get back to our busy things. But we're trying to pray together as a family. So who are you praying with? Who is it that you find yourself engaged in frequent and regular prayer for to God? And lastly, who are you praying for? So who's praying for you? Who are you praying with? And then who is it whose life and circumstances and situations have captured your attention that you would carve out space and time to pray for? About 14, 15 years ago, I met a very remarkable person. Her name was Marilyn Tebow. Uh, Marilyn stood the amazing stature of five foot tall. Um, if, if she was 100 pounds dripping wet, I would have been surprised. Her, uh, she was small in stature, but mighty in prayer. And Marilyn delighted to pray. She delighted to pray for others. And, you know, certainly she was retired and had a lot more time, but she was a busy lady. But she carved out hours a day to pray. She had lists and emails of things to pray for people. And one of the things that was so touching to me is that she really considered herself a prayer warrior for me. And someday she would call me and say, Alan, how are you doing? You're heavy on my heart. Is something going on? I just have this sense to pray for you today. And would ask me, is there anything I can pray for? And she died a few years ago. And it, I still have a sense of loss of Marilyn um, and her heart to pray, not only for me, my family, the church, but for others. Who is praying for you? Who are you praying with? And whom do you find yourself praying for? I think I'd like to just frame these questions as we start this passage in Ephesians and we see this prayer, literally, it's the Apostle Paul writing a prayer for the church, the Ephesian church, but also knowing that it would be circulated and spread. And it's certainly a timeless prayer for us today that Paul wrote this prayer with a couple of things in mind, a a couple of points, I think, for us to go through as we understand the power of prayer this morning. First, This prayer is for our inner being. Secondly, this prayer is for us to be rooted and grounded in love. And thirdly, for us to be filled with the Spirit of God. So let's pray as we begin our time together. We do ask you, Lord, to speak to our hearts, to our inmost being to that place where we are wrestling and struggling and striving to follow you. That you would, by this prayer, teach us what you have in store for us. In one place in scripture, it says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what the Lord has in store for those who love him. So I pray we we may grasp this this morning and take hold, and it may change us to be mature in you. And I pray this in Christ's name, amen. Okay, so let's turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter three, starting in verse 14. 
uh, actually, sorry, starting in verse 16. So the first prayer that we see, the first aspect of this great prayer that Paul says, he is praying for strength in our inner being. I pray, he says, verse 16, out of his glorious riches, out of the abundance of God, that he may strengthen you and then us with, the, with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. You know, sometimes when I read theology, I, my mind just tries to pull it down to something I can understand, some place that I can relate to it, because it's a, such a great, powerful statement. But what does it mean day to day? And, and I think this is an excellent way to think about this. Um, have you ever gone into a restaurant? Of course you have. And you've sat there and the server comes and maybe the servant server isn't so happy to see you, so good at service. They don't fill your water up. They don't wait on you hand and foot. And you start to get irked with it. And so what you do is you, um, you start calculating in your mind, well, if tipping is 10% and really good tipping is 20%, I'm going to give them 4% or 2% or 1%. You know, you start to think, how am I going to get back to this person, get, get them back for not being a great server? Or um, maybe if you're like anyone under 40, you get on your app and you pull up the reviews for that restaurant and you leave a one star out of five or whatever the categories are. And you let everyone else who's going to watch this know what a terrible place that is to eat. And you miss the point. And the point is, maybe that very server who is waiting on you has gotten devastating news. Maybe their child is sick. Maybe they can't pay their rent. Maybe the, the person that sat there before was extremely rude to them. Maybe they're in danger of losing. You don't know. Ian McLaren, who's a Scottish preacher, once said, everyone you meet is fighting a battle you know nothing about. Be kind, always. And that is because every one of us is fighting a battle inside here. And this is why Paul's prayer for the church starts off with this prayer for strength in our inner being, deep inside. What is this inner person or this inner being he talks about? Well, when we become a Christian, we experience a new birth. Jesus calls it being born again. A new sense uh, is made in us, a new person, a new man, a renewal that takes place in us. And it's a swapping out of what the Bible calls the old man or our flesh. And so something changes in us eternally, but we are locked in a battle with the new person in us and the person we used to be, or more specifically, the person that we don't want to be. And those two persons, it sounds like we're really schizophrenic, and we are. Those two concepts are at war with one another. And the greatest battle that we fight is not necessarily the person in your office or the person across your dining room table or that person in your neighborhood. Your greatest battle is this battle inwardly, the battle for your heart. 
St. Augustine, some of you know his writing. St. Augustine was lived about 1,600 years ago. He wrote this. He said, to what extent does anyone become good in the present life? How do you measure success or progress, in other words, as we might say? Augustine says, I will tell you, however much progress someone makes, he or she will still be battling against desires, battling against lusts. However much progress he makes, even someone who is at peace with those in his household and those outside of it, on on the appearances, looks like everything's going well, they will have a war within themselves and they will be waging a contest within themselves and will do so constantly in this life. Paul's great prayer for us is that we are becoming stronger inwardly. In another place, he says it this way. He says, though outwardly we're wasting away, I'm not a spring chicken anymore at 50 when we moved here 14, 15 years ago. So outwardly, I'm not young. I'm not getting any younger. Outwardly, my body is wasting away. Some of us feel that more acutely. Some of us, it will catch up to you. But Paul says, although we're wasting away on the outside, inwardly, in our inner being, we are being renewed day by day. This is the work of the Spirit in our lives. My body may be falling apart, but inwardly, by God's grace and the power of the Spirit, something in me is being renewed and strengthened. And that's the important prayer that Paul starts off with this in this short, short section, that we're becoming stronger and more dependent on the Lord. And we are becoming more mature to fight this battle, to deal with these challenges, to struggle through this wrestling and be faithful to God. And the prayer for strength, Paul says, is so that Christ may, this is amazing theology, Christ may dwell richly in your hearts. We in him and he in us. So this morning, as you're watching this and listening, I'd ask you this. What battle are you fighting here? Perhaps you're angry. I see a lot of angry people and I experience it. Perhaps you're disappointed. I wish things were different. Perhaps you're lonely. I have no friends. I don't know if people really care. And if I moved away, would anyone really want to show up at my farewell party? Perhaps you're discouraged. Each day is a battle after battle, and you feel like you're taking more steps backwards than you are forwards. Perhaps you're fearful. It's very easy to be anxious in these times. And I think probably like many of us, we're exhausted. They did a survey of pastors in the United States. And the number one thing that pastors are saying about their life right now is that they are extremely exhausted. So in light of this, I want to ask you, do you want to be strengthened? Let me pray right now. So I know it's online and on a screen. I just invite you to pause, to close your eyes for just a second, lower the distractions, and let me pray. Lord, there are people watching and sitting here this morning. 
who are finding themselves fighting a losing battle inwardly. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, I pray today the weak will become strong in you. Amen. Now don't run away. It's not over. So let me get to the second part of this prayer. So the first part is that we would be strong in the Lord, strong in our inner being. Second part of this prayer is that we would be rooted and grounded in love. So strong, how? Second answer is that we would be rooted and grounded and established in love. I pray that you being rooted and established in love as a result of the, in, the, the work in your inner being, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people, those on the earth and those in the heavenly realms who are with the Lord, to grasp, to take hold of how wide and how high and how long and how deep is the love of Christ. This is a very powerful aspect of Paul's prayer. The Lord's desire in this prayer seeks us, the church, to be rooted and established in love. We talk about those two terms. They're similar in thinking, but there are some distinctions. So what does it mean to be rooted and what does it mean to be established in love? So first, rooted. The picture that comes to mind with this word rooted is that of a tree. Now, most of us by nature, we look at trees from the ground up. Uh, We see the leaves and we see the expanse and we know a beautiful tree is lively and vivacious and it has all kinds of animals and birds and insects in it. It's an amazing organism. It, It provides shade and protection. But what most of us don't see or think of is that for a very tall tree, there are very deep roots. And the word here is related to this concept that God's desire for you in your inward being is to be rooted, which means there's a depth to you. There's a deep, deep sense of your connection in the soil of God's love. The second word establish or one word, one translation uses it grounded is that you are permanent, like a building, like this room is a building, it's a structure. It would take a considerable storm and wind and tornadoes to take this thing away. It's permanent, it's not going anywhere. We couldn't move this, it would be expensive and insurmountable. There is a solidity to this building. And this is what Paul's saying, that his prayer, God's desire, is that you would be deep like a deep root system of a big tree and you would be grounded and established like a strong building with walls of shelter and protection. There's a permanence to a building. And as great as these themes are, this depth and this permanence, what is necessary for them to flourish is the soil of love, God's love his deep, deep love. And what a compelling and attractive scenario to be deeply rooted and established in the love of God, not just in my own thoughts or my own techniques or my own abilities, but in a love outside of me, a love that is way more than I could ask or imagine or comprehend. God's love is soil for us to grow in depth as well as steadfastness. Now, I've been doing this for 25 years. 
I've been standing in microphones and podiums and small groups and large groups for 25 years talking theology and preaching the word of God. And I found a remarkable distinction. It is much easier for us to understand what to do than how to be. It is way more comfortable for us to talk about the kingdom of God in terms of action, where I go, what what needs to happen, what must be done, than it is for me to talk about an experience of God's love in my heart and my soul, my inmost being. And actually, this is what Paul is saying is the power of the church. Which brings me to my third point. Paul says not only does he want us to be um, strong in our inward being, rooted and established in love so we can grasp how deep and how wide and how high and how long is his love for us, but his third part of this prayer is for us to be filled with the fullness of God, to have the fullness of God's person in us that we may dwell in him that we are in Christ and that he is in us. The fancy great theological word for this is theosis. And it's the doctrine or the teaching of the faith that the church has embraced for 2,000 years that we actually can have a union with God. And that this union with God means that we become like God and we participate in his goodness and his life and his mercy, we actually can participate in his divine nature. Or you might like it in this kind of lingo, we can have an encounter and an experience of God that surpasses just a knowledge of him. One of the famous theological heavyweights of the church is a guy named Thomas Aquinas. And on Christmas Eve, one year, 1100 something, Thomas Aquinas and a small group of people, this is a man who when he was 11 years old, the Pope in in the Vatican in Italy at 11 appointed Thomas Aquinas a secretary to follow him around, write what he said, look and watch what he did. He was so amazing. At 11 years old, he had to have a person walk around him just to watch his life and record it. And on Christmas Eve one year, Thomas Aquinas and a small group of people go into a small chapel and they have a communion service. And he is profoundly hit, this genius, this brilliant man who wrote tomes of theology is so profoundly impacted by the love of God that he stops all theological writing. From thenceforth, he says, all my work is like straw compared to knowing the glory of God. And this is God's desire for us, that we would have his fullness in us. And out of that fullness, we will be able to understand how wide and how deep and how high and how long is the love of God. And that this love will surpass just purely head knowledge for us. Now, you may say, I would love that. Well, I think this quote from C.S. Lewis is very helpful. C.S. Lewis writes regarding the surpassing love of God. He says this, if we let him, for we can prevent him if we choose, 
he will make the feeblest and the filthy of us into a god or a goddess, dazzling, radiant, immortal creatures, pulsating all through with such energy and joy and wisdom and love as we cannot now imagine. A bright, stainless mirror which which reflects back to him perfectly, though, of course, on a smaller scale, his own boundless power and delight and goodness. The process will be long and in parts very painful. But that is what we were in for. Nothing less. He meant what he said. That he would dwell in us and we in him. You might be asking yourselves, how do I know this? How could I have this? And I've asked that as well. And this is why I think Paul's conclusion of this section is so helpful. He says in verse 20, listen to what he says. Um, and all of this, all the things that I've shared about this perspective of prayer, he says, and he, God, is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Stop for just a second and pull that verse back out. Because he is working in our inner being, rooting us in the depth and establishing us in permanence in his love. And we're able to grasp this love and how high and wide and deep it is and be filled with this spirit. Look at what it says God does with us. He is able, he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power at work in us, in our inner being. And our response when we see God do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine, our response is to glorify him. And so this is why Paul concludes, to him, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. I really love the image of this word immeasurably. Um, To say it another way, it's a delicious word. It's a delightful word. It's full. It's deep. It's thick. Immeasurably more. My friends, do you want God to do things immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine? That's the power of prayer and God's spirit at work in you. So let me give a couple of specific and tangible ways for us to know this. First of all, I want you to know there are a group of people in this church who delight to pray for you. Think about all the things that people do, all their vocations and activities. There's a team of people here in Church of the Redeemer, and Lord willing, I know in most other churches, who delight to pray for you. You are not alone. But you know what you have to do? You have to ask for it. You have to ask them, would you please pray for me? Uh, recently, Sharon May was our prayer team leader. Now it's Jim Godfrey. Uh, both are, have, Sharon did a great job. Jim is stepping in. On Saturday mornings, we have this free farmer's market. We've fed 550 people over the last five weeks here on Saturday mornings. We fed them free, great food, pancakes, waffles, coffee now, 
but the most important thing that we fed them is prayer. There's a little station over here and invariably 25 to 30 people come and ask for prayer. Think about that. The boldness to come ask another person to pray for you. I know a church that was started in Hawaii. Sounds like a delightful place to do church, by the way, but it's actually very rocky soil. A church planner took out a billboard, took his budget money for starting a church, took out a billboard and wrote a very simple message. If you need prayer, please call this phone number. And he spent a whole year praying for thousands of people who would call that number just to have a person on the other end of the line that they don't see or touch or know, pray for them. Why? Because our heart yearns for this communion with God. And lastly, a few months ago, um, I really knew that I don't pray enough. I don't seek it myself. I'm a busy mind. And so I read some things and I took out a chart and I made a chart of people and things to pray for. And it's coded by the day. So I know when I'm having my time with the Lord, I'm able to look at this list and remember to pray for things like friends, my family, the church, laborers we've sent out, all the different things that I know I need to pray for and seek God for, I keep on this list now. I would invite you to have you consider making such a list especially if you have a busy mind like me. So I want to invite you now to stand where you are and let us conclude with prayer together. Father, we thank you that you hear us. You hear the prayers of our hearts. You identify with our circumstances. But more than that, you want us to know you. You want us to experience you. You want us to have a rooting and a grounding in your love that surpasses just the knowledge of our minds, doctrinal positions and statements, propositional truth about you. But you want us to know you deep inside in our inner being. I pray that we would be bold to come to your throne today and for the rest of our lives. And I pray this in the name of Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen.